0: How's everybody feeling? I gotta say I have to say This is one of those nights I've been sad every time a book ended This one, I'm devastated I wanted it to go on and on and on And you know the other thing I will say Is that It really shows how well I know that Mario Puzo never dabbled in screen screenplays before but for him to get in and write the screenplay with Coppola and for them to have such a warm relationship uh, it's very hard for writers to be dispassionate about their work being edited especially by somebody who is looking to bring their um, their work to screen or to stage I knew a couple of playwrights in my time who just hate, hate actors because they they always pose some kind of a threat to the original intent for everything they wrote. But for Puzo to work so closely with Coppola to make the screenplay for the first Godfather and have it be so coherent. And, and with everything that has been put in its way, I, I'm really going to continue to suggest that those of you out there who are looking to know a little bit more about the making of the book and the making of the movie, and I think that it would, I think that you would really get it now because you're you're going to get a little bit more of what was going on in the country at the time, what was going on at the movie theaters, Paramount. Um, <clears throat> it, it's uh, it's really something else. And it's something to see that with what the source material that we got, I know I'm just talking generally, but it's the, it's the last night, and I just want to be conversational about this. Um, but what we got in this book as far as source material for what would become Godfather part two, it's not a lot. We got the old scenes back in New York with Vito, how he stalked Finucci, the black hand, um uh, how he came to the country his his uh his mother his brother the uh the um uh the vendetta that really drove him for revenge his entire life he went back to corleone uh Sicily to be able to kill don Ciccio. uh the other thing is yeah and also that's that's how you get um don tomasillo tomasino uh that's how he had his he got his limp. He was injured in some of those battles of Vito going back and really uh claiming what was his back in, in Sicily. That becomes part of 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 part two. The uh well, the they give you some wonderful Ellis Island scenes in part two. You get Jenko, but you get more you get more backstory. You understand what you're seeing more in part two because of this book with Jenko and the Abandandos. Um what else but there's so much more that Coppola and Puzo wrote together that's not in this book and this is i think this is all we see of the corleones in in um in written form i think that puzo went on to you know create other other families and other storylines i have two more books of his i have the last don and i have omerta so I'm going to read them. Maybe I'll read them over this next couple of months since we don't have any books that are lined up until uh, January. But it just is, I think it's just a, a testament to how well Coppola and Puzo work together to be able to bring in Cuba, to be able to go deeper into Las Vegas, to go deeper into Fredo and everything else that's going on, to 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 circle back around to visiting older characters to see what there's doing, what would mama Corleone is, is up to um what happens with Connie after Carlo is gone and um and how you know she's kind of living life rebelliously uh to, to spite her brother almost like a, a rebellious daughter would do to her father and there's just so much Hyman Roth the introduction of hyman roth and and wonderful other uh, new main characters that come in like frank Pantangeli and how they deal with the um the the departure of of uh of characters like uh peter clemenza and then of course there's part 3 which could have been incredible could have been incredible but they failed to bring back robert du- robert duval he felt that he was a little bit um He was getting shafted with his pay. He was just fresh off of a, of a, uh, 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 of an Oscar win, and you know Al Pacino and anybody else, they didn't have that. He did, so they wrote him out of Godfather Three. They they had wonderful source material about the assassination of a pope, the Vatican Bank, the Italian immobiliari. Uh, There there's there's such great material that could have been worked with, and it just kind of fell short in a lot of ways. And there's also the weird incest thing, the cousin stuff that was going on between Lucy Mancini and uh, Sonny's son. That's the big thing. That could have really worked very well to have Sonny's son, Vincent, Vincent Mancini, being being the one that had to be corralled by old Michael who wants to be retiring at that point. There was so much that you could have done. Um, but it's just, and still I watch it from time to time because it's, I think it's still, you know, for whatever the hell the script was decently acted, you know, Sophia Coppola gets a lot of, uh, a lot of shit for being kind of blah in that, but she stepped in because she had to, uh, she stepped in. I believe that the first person that they had cast in her role was a Ryder or something like that. I forget, I forget, and then finally Francis is like, "Please, Sophia, would you like this?" Anywho, that last scream, that last scream, at the opera house, Al Pacino—he could have won. If you, if there's an award to be won by anything, by that one scream, he could have won an award. In my book, I would have given him a, 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 given, given him a trophy just for best scream that kind of tears your heart right out of your chest cavity. Anyway, I've gone way off track point is the book is over and where are we going I'm all alone tonight there's no Jay Dyer and uh, so I just wanted to fill some time and have some fun because I'm going to get to your thoughts in the thread and then maybe if we have some time before 9 30 I'll take some calls chapter 26 chapter 26 we have this um we have this look into what's going on with Nino Nino out there in Las Vegas with uh, with our crew out there, and Johnny Fontaine, and we see that Nino is in a real bad spot. He is killing himself with the alcohol, and that is a, it's a curious thing to see how Johnny really just doesn't take any kind of, um, uh, doesn't take any charge with trying to assume his friend's health and help him, but I guess he's at the point where he knew that Nino was just not, going to be able to, um, to respond to any kind of help at this point. There's a lot, there's a lot. Jules, Dr. Jules, he's very, very um, forthright about what's going on here. I think this is where Dr. Jules gained a little bit more respect from Johnny Fontaine, even though he cured his voice. You know, he took those warts off of Johnny Fontaine's vocal cords, took a little time, he was a little bit um, sad Uh, or a little bit nervous to test his vocal cords. And what happened was, after some time, he went and he he sang a little bit. And he said that the the timbre in his voice had changed a little, but uh, it was still still recognizably him. And he said the real question was going to be whether or not the next morning he woke up and he was unable to speak because of how sore he was. But he woke up the next morning fine, and he was able to speak again and sing again. And there's this wonderful little story here about Nino, and he's, you know, he's really in bad shape. And he was talking to Johnny. Um, he he wanted to say sorry about, the he, you know, no hard feelings about what was going on out there in Florida. Johnny describes the situation where he went home. He went home to Virginia or somewhere where his wife and his daughters were. And he went there and his daughters were just, you know, not interested. They had something else to do, not interested in hanging out with Johnny that weekend. So he just figured that he would go, you know, and take himself down to Florida and really have it out with Nino. But before he left, he had a really um, revealing back and forth with his ex-wife in which, you know, he was opening up to her about how down and out he was about how he couldn't sing. And she was like, oh, come on, you know, look at all the, the fame you have now. You're doing so well producing f- pictures and all that stuff. What do you have to worry about? I never liked your singing anyway. And that really upset him. And as he expresses, that he's a singer. This is what I do. I sing. You know, all this stuff with the movies and stuff, that's great. But this is what I am. And I, I think anybody out there could really um, re- resonate with that. If you know what you are, you need to be that i know what i am i know what i am i i know what i i love doing and and what comes natural to me and um and that that it just becomes a part of you so he's a little depressed he hasn't tested his vocal cords yet he doesn't think it's possible anymore but his his throat had been fixed but he went down to florida and he and nino had two chicks that they met up with and he really didn't um he really didn't give in to any of the... Ch- Nino was having an out, you know, banging him and all that stuff. But, but Johnny was a little bit more interested in testing his voice finally. And he was able to sing. And he, was a, he got a, a, a pianist to accompany him. And that whole weekend, he really was belting it and crooning for these girls and, and being out there and exploring that again. And he was, and Nino was jealous to see his voice is back. And that is why and what he was saying in his drunken stupor, he said he was, he was okay about with what happened in Florida with the two girls. Now, when he said that in the present day, and then they had the flashback to what happened with the two girls, I thought it was going to be something like Johnny stole both of them from him, and Nino always held that against him for years or something like that. But it was actually a really nice flashback. And I think it was a really good thing for uh, the deepening of their relationship especially as we can see here that nino's on a crash course with with um with death there's really nothing much you can do there all right so what else we have here so um we get a little bit more into dr Jules. Remember when you offered me a job as your personal physician after that throat business I turned you down because I knew we could never get along a doctor thinks he's god he's the high priest in modern society that's one of the rewards but you would never treat me that way i'd be a flunky i'd be a flunky god to you like those doctors you guys have in hollywood where do you get those people from anyway there's a lot of those l- little things there that i uh i thought was nice so um So we go from there. I want to just jump around a little bit more and then see where you guys are heading. Uh, Tina, that's where we have. Yes. I thought Johnny was going to be stealing the woman. That's around page 365 in my book. Chapter 27. This is when we get a little bit more here. Michael Corleone arrived late in the evening. And by his own order was not met at the airport only two men accompanied him Tom Hagen and his new bodyguard Albert Neary now Albert Neary we get a lot he shows up we get him a lot a little bit in uh, in Godfather 1 we get he's a a very strong figure uh, hanging out in the in the background and taking a lot of foreground um, opportunities in Godfather 2 the movie But in this we get a lot of background i loved when we finally got to his chapter toward the end that uh that we get what was going on with him as a police officer you know a brutal man they say that he this is somebody who could be the next luca brazzi and we got to get into that a little bit more but this meeting in las vegas is just terrific it really is they go the michael goes out to las vegas he uh he's he pretty much expresses that he's going to be taking all of uh mo Green's stock in the casinos out there, you know Fredo and the rest of them say mo Green's not going to do that because I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse and uh and then we have the the really looking at what's going on. lucy is a part of the the welcoming crew out there. Michael is out there with Fredo he starts to see how Fredo's living he has that. Encounter that is really well played out in the movie between Mo Green and uh, and Michael, especially when he's telling Mo Green. We, we get a little bit more on Mo. You know, in the movie he kind of looks the kind of like a, a a sleazy desert swindler character who really knows how to crack some heads and make a casino work. Yeah, but you never thought that he was a murderer in the movie. You think that he is just like one of those guys that they put out there like in ca- Casino the movie. Um you know, you you say, but then you go and you read this and you see that Mo Green was part of uh, Murder Incorporated and he was doing some brutal hits down in back in Brooklyn. Now he's out there running the casino. It's like, wow, he's a little bit more of a formidable man, uh, at least as painted as that in here. Anyway, um, anyway uh, Michael gives uh, Dr. Jules a little bit more of an update of what he would like to do for him. Uh, Michael's face does eventually get fixed. He takes his wife's um, request seriously. Uh, also in here, when as I'm reading through this whole meeting with Mo Green in, in Las Vegas, it re- really makes me appreciate the acting of John Cazale as Fredo. Incredible, incredible actor. And um, it, it's really interesting to see how Green explodes here. Explodes of what's being taken away from him and then we know that at that point he's on the shit list He's gonna have to be taken Taken care of especially since Michael knows that he's been slapping his brother Fredo around and that's an embarrassment in itself It, it has to go. It can't go unanswered. So um, that's it. He wants to leave He wants to leave and uh, And away he goes Back to New York and what is he coming back to New York to do what does he have to go back to New York to do, to plan? It is starting to become increasingly obvious now to the viewer, to the, the reader, that what Don Vito was doing at that gigantic summit, where he called peace between all the families, was the only, the top priority he had from that meeting right there, was to say and do Anything that was going to bring Michael back home safely to America. Because it is obvious here that now with Sonny dead, with Fredo off in Las Vegas being show, uh, you know, and showing the world that he really does not have the ability to lead, that he is too uh, driven by his vices, by the ladies, all that stuff, that Michael was the key to the future. Not only did Vito love him and wanted him home and wanted him safe, But he needed to bring the only person back home who would be able to execute what needed to be done. And we're seeing what that buildup is. We're seeing what that buildup is slowly over here. The plane ride back to New York, Michael Corleone relaxed and tried to sleep. It was useless. It was almost three years now since he had returned. This is on page 376, 374. It was almost 3 years now since he had returned home and over 2 years since he had married Kay. 3 years had spent in learning the family business. He had put in long hours with Tom Hagen, long hours with the Don. He was amazed at how wealthy and powerful the Corleone family was. It was it owed tremendously valuable Uh, real estate in the midtown New York, whole office buildings. It owned through fronts, partnerships in two Wall Street brokerage houses, pieces of banks on Long Island, partnerships in some garment centers firms, all this in addition to its illegal operations and gambling. Michael had married Kay up in New England. Quiet wedding with only her family and a few other friends present. Then they had moved into one of the houses on the mall in Long Beach. Michael was surprised how well Kay got along with her parents and how other people living in the mall. And of course she had gotten pregnant right away like a good old style Italian wife was supposed to and that helped. The second kid on the way in two years was just the icing. Now here's what we have. Except now. Here's a little bit more. Kay would be waiting for him at the airport. She always came to meet him. She always was so glad when he came back from a trip. And he was too. Except now. For the end of this trip meant that he finally had to take the action he had been groomed for over the last three years. The Don would be waiting for him. The Kappa regimes would be waiting for him. And he, Michael Corleone, would have to give the orders. Make the decisions which would decide his and the family's fate. This is how you know how this retreating and all throughout this time here he's telling Tessio and Clemenza you're going to be taken care of they're saying listen barzini is coming into brooklyn there's going to be nothing left of us they're taking a lot of our our uh, you know they're opening up a couple of uh, you know uh you know bookies are coming in and they're make, they're opening up books everywhere with the gambling and we cannot retaliate he has told clemenza and tessio do not grow the size of your your uh, regimes do not recruit new soldiers do not show that you are arming up stay stay uh, level-headed stay what seems to be subservient and stay compliant with the peace that Don Vito had brokered back in New York years before when he was trying to get Michael back from Italy now, at, before that and after that time, they, they don't know whether or not Barzini, he says, well, you know, Barzini uh, had broke the peace himself. Don Vito, you know, you know, let don't don't tie our hands here. We need to be able to fight. Of course, that that is the death of Apollonia. That was all Barzini there reaching into Sicily to try to find out where the hell um, uh, Michael was. But they say, well, listen, that could just be that message didn't get out there fast enough to take the hit off of Michael or it could also have been that they were really trying to get at Don Tomasino Um, but we all know that Barzini was trying to take that all out because it was only taking Michael out because it was only a matter of time before the Don died and then the entire family would be absorbed by however many families were going to pick up the pieces with Fredo was not going to fill in so that's really all it was he needed Michael home And this is just interesting, we get a little bit more on Sonny's wife, Sandra had been taken uh, and her children moved to Florida where her parents now lived. Certain financial arrangements have been made so that she and her children would live comfortably, but Sonny had left no estate. We learn a little bit more about Mama Corleone and her faith. She goes to Mass as a Catholic every morning and that is to pray for her husband to pray for her husband, to say to say prayers for his soul, so he goes up there and not down there. And Kay follows suit soon as well and uh, converts to Catholicism and starts going to Mass every day with um, with Mama Corleone when she realizes just what Michael has done and will have to continue to do in the role that he's acting in. He needs to be able to as a Don, almost like God, kill as well as create. So it's uh it's just incredible there. Um uh, let me see here. Let me see here. Intervention. Oh oh yeah, they almost have an intervention for Michael's face. Mama Corleone hates it. Uh Connie hates it. And all along he is uh we also see that there's a big change that happens with Carlo. Carlo Rizzi is um is starting to calm down. He left the boozing behind. He left the whoring behind. I mean, he still has a gumar, it seems, but uh, but he's not really, he's not beating Connie anymore. He was He's really impressing a lot of people with the, the business that he is taking care of. And he seems to be getting groomed for going out there to Las Vegas to pick up what is about to be um, transferred over there. It does seem that that uh, Michael wants to sell off and let go of most, if not all, of their interests of business in New York and get out into Las Vegas and set up shop there. Which, of course, in the movie would also be accompanied by their growing interest in Cuba. And um, and this is a this is a really interesting point to be made at this uh, at this juncture here because we are seeing. We are seeing that they're seeing that, the, uh, that, that with all of his, um, his being let into the inside workings of the family business, he's seeing that the Corleone family is really in decline. But it's a managed decline. It is Sun Tzu. They are being made to, to, to seem like they are not anything to be worried about whatsoever. Barzini and Tattaglia, they have their growing union. They are—they are the—the—the are the, the big cheese in New York City as of now. But—but but intelligence is not on their side. All right, so let's keep going a little bit more. Clemenza and Tessio were annoyed with Michael because he had reduced the strength of the regimes. He had never recon- reconstituted Sonny's regime. The Corleone family, in effect, had now only two fighting divisions with less personnel than formerly. Clemenza and Tessio considered this suicidal, especially with the Barzini-Tattalia encroachments onto their, uh, onto their empires. So now that they were hopeful that these errors might be corrected at the extraordinary meeting with the conven- that had been convened by the Don, they did not get that there. They did not get it, but they were promised that within a year, maybe less, maybe six months, mm-hmm. that once all of their interests had been moved out to Las Vegas, that Tessio and Clemenza, they can form their own families, or they can stay with Corleone, family, and uh, and and do more work in the future there. All along the way, Carlo Rizzi is just sitting back and seeing what could be in it for him as he needs to be, um, that's going to be revealed soon. Tessio, on the other hand, we're seeing that Tessio is definitely the more intelligent one between he and Clemenza. Clemenza is definitely um, capable, but Tessio is a lot more strategic. And we see that now because it is... Um, it's time that we see that the 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 Don he dies. He's out there tending to his garden. He goes away and uh and right at his as uh the, his grandson comes running to him. He's um he's just blinking out of existence. One of the last things he says as he dies is that life is beautiful, which is uh really poignant. What do you think what the life is beautiful stuff is about? Um I know he had everything he wanted, and he definitely uh, he definitely was the strong man for his family. And a lot of people looked up to him, but that was just so poetic for a man that was so stoic um, for so long, it's right there to say that. The one thing I am confused about, well, not confused about, was shocked to see, is that uh, at uh, page 388, Mo Green, two days after Nino died, predictably. Mo Green was shot to death in Hollywood home of his movie star, uh, of his movie star mistress. Albert Neary did not reappear in New York until almost a month later. I guess we know who did that. Now, in the movie, uh, Moe Green is part of the baptism scene. It's not a confirmation. It's a baptism. It's Connie and Carlo's uh, son. Uh, is it the son or the daughter? I forget. Anyway... It's uh, Connie and Carlos' uh, child, and it's a baptism scene that we start seeing what the big big, uh, push to settle all the family business is. Life is so beautiful, says the dying Don on page 392. Now, at this point, we know that Michael has almost transferred and made contacts with all of the Don's political uh, friends. In the three years that they had been working together, he had gotten all of his, I think, judges over into Michael's pocket. They are swearing their loyalty there, working on most of the politicians, and there's other business interests that they're doing there, too. But he also gave him some very uh, well-needed counsel on what was going to happen next to find the traitor in the family. And that once the Don dies, whoever comes to him to broker a deal... A peace deal between Barzini and the Corleone family, which will, will result in Michael being assassinated. Whoever brokers that deal and comes to you about it is, is the traitor, and that was that. Tom Hagan asks, uh, Who brokered the deal? And it was Tessio. It was Tessio. Tessio was always smarter, he says. Now, we get a little bit more because now it's just go time. What's going to happen? And we have Al Neary, the back end of him. It opens up with him taking out all of his old police uniform, his his badge, his uh, 38 special that has been um, tailored by Clemenza to be able to be uh, traceless. And he, we get a little bit more in the background of his, you know, brutal nature, not only with people on the streets, but also with um, insolent, members of his own family who disrespected his, his sister, his nephew, how he beat him up a little bit and how he really... He, i, I got to tell you, I know that we're talking about a guy who is unstable, that he's a furious man and he flies off the handle. On the other hand, there is like this... There is this aspect of Al Neary where he sees something wrong with the world and the people in the world... And again this is the way he knows best to go out there to fight to fight and he has a very heavy hand and in some respects I can respect him and I almost wish that we had some more Al Neary's fighting on our behalf today in other respects he does go way over the top and you don't want you, you don't want a world full of police officers like Al Neary but at the other hand there's just there's just something there there's something there that I kind of tip my cap to. Anyway, this was seen. These traits were picked up on by the Corleone family, and when he got into trouble, um, he was picked up, he was recruited, and all of his legal problems were taken away, and he pretty much was groomed to be the new um, the new Luca Brazzi. There's something else about, there, uh, about that I would like to read. Where the hell is it about Luca Brazzi? I think this is it right here. It's at the end. Of Al Neary's backstory when we learn about how Michael and Don Vito Recognize the value of Al Albert Neary as a as a member of the team here Uh, Let's see here. He asks okay Michael nodded. He had bought it off Brought it off Albert Neary was his man to the death and of course It was a trick learned from Don himself while learning the business Undergoing the long days of tutelage by his father Michael had one time asked him How come you used a guy like Luca Brazzi, an animal like that? Remember, Michael learned about Luca Brazzi and the babies, the prostitute's baby, while he was out there in Sicily. So he knows the story. He knows the story that Tom and everybody else had no interest of retelling to anybody. He knows it now. And now he asks his father, which I'm so happy that this happened, wonderful writing to come back around to that and give us some closure on that. He asks his father why. Why have an animal like that around? The Don had proceeded to instruct him. There are men in this world, he said, who go about demanding to be killed. You must have noticed them. They quarrel in gambling games. They jump out of their automobiles in a rage if someone so much as scratches their fender. They humiliate and bully people whose capabilities they do not know. They have seen a man, a fool, deliberately infuriate a group. I have seen a man a fool, deliberately infuriate a group of dangerous men and he himself without any resources. These are people who wander the world shouting, kill me, kill me. And there is always somebody ready to oblige them. We read about it in the newspapers every day. Such people, of course, do a great deal of harm to others also. Luke Abrazzi was such a man, but he was such an extraordinary man that for a long time nobody could kill him. Most of these people are of no concern to ourselves, but Abrazzi is a powerful weapon to be used. The trick is that since he does not fear death and indeed looks for it, then the trick is to make yourself the only person in the world that he truly desires not to kill him. He has only that one fear, not of death that you may be the one to kill him. He is yours then. It was one of the most valuable lessons given by the Don before he died, and Michael had used it to make Neri his Luca Brazzi. Mm. I, I mean, I thought that was incredible. The whole idea of there are men out there who are just begging to be killed, it's, I mean, it is such a cutting assessment of the people that we see on display all over the place. The men begging to be killed that our society huddles around and protects for some reason. That happens a lot. And then there are other times when those men, sometimes women, begging to be killed get what you would have to imagine is coming to them. And then those deaths are used to... <laughs> To create more, I mean, it is, I mean, we've just seen these types of people. Well, they're used in different ways these days. But uh, it was really incredible to see that articulation around the Luca Brazzi character and have some closure on him, as that's the last time we hear about him in this book. And what we see here is that Albert Neri was getting ready to go out, and he was the one that was given the task of putting the hit on Barzini. And then it is the big day, man. It is the big day. Now, it starts off with something that we only get as a deleted scene in the movie. Like I said, there's about an hour's worth of deleted scenes with The Godfather, and you can see this one, and that is Fabrizio being hunted down in Buffalo as he opened up a pizzeria up there, and bye, bye bye-bye, asked, hey, can I see that uh, tattoo? I got no tattoo. He knows he's dead. Boom. Now, in the deleted scene, Fabrizio, as he's leaving his pizzeria, gets into his car, starts the car, and the car blows up. So that's how Fabrizio, the hitman from Sicily, meets his end. And then we get Philip Tattaglia. Bye-bye. 70 years old. He's he's in bed with a whore, and he is shot dead. And then we get Albert Neary getting up there uh, where Barzini is parked, right by Rockefeller Center, and goodbye. Barzini gets three in the chest. And then Tessio gets it. Tom, can you get me off the hook for old time's sake? Can't do it, Sally. And he's brought into the car, and off he goes. And then we have Carlo Rizzi, which was a little bit more painful because he was just, uh, he, thought he, was in the, he thought he was made, and he wasn't. And the whole time, Michael knew that it was coming to this. You have to answer for Santino, Carlo. And that's when he knew he was dead. And then, of course, he thought maybe he wasn't dead. He said, "I wouldn't make my sister a uh, widow. You're out of the family business. That's what your that's your punishment. So you're getting on a plane. Here you go. Here's your tickets. Go on, on, uh, go on, get out of here." Then he goes outside, sits in front, sits in the front seat of a car, with Clemenza sitting behind him, and then he gets the garret to the throat, over, and gone. That's Carlo. Carlo's gone. Goodbye. All the family business is settled in one day, and it was glorious, man. It was glorious. Now, um, and you get that, and and again, here's the other thing. Here, it ends. This chapter ends because we still have book nine, where it's really just you know a, a, to to look forward into what happened and and where uh, where Kay how Kay went to deal with her horror that Michael is the murderer. He did kill Carlo and he did kill many other people but that ending right there of the door closing of her getting the assurances from Michael that he did not do that, that that Connie was having a medical episode and that all was uh, you know all was on the up and up is, uh, is is dashed away when she turns around and she sees Clemenza and everybody pretty much lining up to kiss the ring, Don Michael they, they take him very seriously now. Don Michael and that is when in the movie Al Neary comes over sees Kay looking in closes the door and she realizes that she is on the outside she always will be on the outside looking in and that's her life now so um so I mean it's a that's the end of it I mean, there's so much more. That's just the, 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 the skeletal structure of it all. I want to get into what you guys and gals are saying now, and, uh, and we will see. Let me get into the, the thread, and then hopefully we can take some calls as well. All right, over here. Ali Q says, The afterward provide keen insight into the late 1960s when this was written seems to correlate even more with our era. Quote, The events of the late 1960s challenged... The unambiguous nature of good and bad. To many citizens, things seemed out of control. America seemed ready for a new type of protagonist, one who embodied the ambiguity of the times. We are horrified by many actors, actions of the Corleones. We are also drawn to their efficiency in getting things done and their ability to met out justice. Yes. I recently watched an interview Jay did with Mel K about the type of protagonist that dominated our culture. Tony Soprano, Dexter, Walter White, etc. And it seems we are repeating the same cultural dynamics that emerged in the late 1960s. I wonder if Jay would comment on this. Well, um, I think that he would comment on it uh, very well if he were here. But I would say, look beyond the 1960s. Look at um, John Dillinger. Look at Bonnie and Clyde. You know, these are people, you know, John Dillinger, he was an escape artist there. I mean, he, was, he wasn't Houdini. Uh, he was a bank robber. But the, the, the thing is that the, especially people who were hurting in the early 20th centuries, who saw the banks, the institutions, the government really not doing anything to help them out, and they were losing their farms, they were losing the shirts on their backs. People like John Dillinger and even Bonnie and Clyde, who were, who were monsters, they were murderous. Uh, they began to 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 build up cult followings, fans, people who were rooting them on for having the courage to do what many people would have loved to do themselves—to really stick it to the system that was failing them. Uh, as I said before on this show, when I made that 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 the theme of a uh, of a quite frankly broadcast from maybe a couple months ago, now we are all Bonacera. Or are we all era? We are. In my estimation, we are. I believe in America. Well, we all believed in America. I think we, 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 we believe in what America was, what it was founded to be. But we can very clearly see what's going on now. We can very clearly see whose interests are represented over ours. And the justice system, who it really works for the best. And more consistently. Amerigo Bonacera going to Don Vito, that is to go to a place to get justice because everything else has failed us. And of course, you know, the outsiders would say, oh, yeah, well, we don't want to encourage vigilanteism. Vigilanteism, is it really? I mean, what, what's vigilanteism if, this, if, the, this, if the, the system is the enemy? Is it vigilantism? There's no system. There's a private system for a very select few people. And we get the kangaroo courts and we get the the local magistrates who dole out, you know, you know, who, who make deals with with local prosecutors about, you know, pleading down a parking ticket or indecent exposure, you know, taking a, you know, public urination. I mean, that's what we have. We have managers and all that stuff. But as far as justice, as far as what we see, the real criminals of the world getting away with day in, day out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. Are we not all? Bonacera, we believed in America and we're realizing that it it is not in in its current form not built to serve us So um, That's why a lot of these characters not only on the screen But in real life have become cult heroes in America, and I I, I go to people like John Dillinger and um, And Bonnie and Clyde So uh, there you go Uh, NJSF says, I like how the end of the book brings some closure to the parallels between Michael and Vito Corleone, Mrs. Corleone and Kay, in contrast between the old and the modern, yet maintaining a lot of the same undertones. Michael demonstrates the cunning and subtle power that Vito had and made it clear to all over his life, even to the parallel of them both coming from an underdog position, nobody taking them seriously until the final moment. His plan was flawless and genius. The appearance of Neri as the new Luca Brasi was less but less explosive, yes. The new Luca Brasi, but less explosive, just more surgical, and that's it. Uh, At the end of the novel, I mean, for example, Al Neary being the type to smack the hell out of his nephew for hearing the way he's talking to his sister his nephew believing that he's the only one home and nobody's hearing the way that he's treating his mother in private, that's not a guy that you would ever expect to throw a infant into a furnace. But that's a guy who's going to go and execute a job with, with extreme precision and no remorse. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's one of those things where it almost gets you pumped up. But again, you know, Walter White, Tony Soprano, Al Neri. Are these people that you really want to be? You know, um, every time I, I watch The Sopranos all the way through, I, I do. I feel like I do it at least once or twice a year. Just because I get hooked in by the characters. And every so often, you know, I love the interactions between Pauli e. Gaultieri and Christopher Moltisanti. I love those characters. Um, I, I love them all. I really do love them all. And there are some... There are just some episodes that you're just like, "Oh my God, these guys it's just hilarious and then the next episode you'll get a scene where you get you get reminded that they are sociopaths, the characters that they are monsters and they're they're the they're you would never want these people in your life definitely would not want to be in business with them so uh, yeah, let's see here. I really enjoyed how much reading the book brought depth to the characters from the movie, and the choices that Puzo and uh, and Coppola made for the first movie makes perfect sense to me, given the time to limit emotion that uh, to limit a motion picture. Nobody really wants a seven-hour picture. Oh, I do. The uh, in the chapter I want a miniseries. <laughs> in the chapter for this session, the following jumped at me: the continued critic of the medical establishment, even as a self-aware. Um, even as a self-aware criticism, like in the response from Jules to Fontaine, quote, I turned you down because I knew we could never get along. A doctor thinks he's God. He's the high priest in modern society. That's one of his rewards, but you would never treat me that way. I'd be a flunky God to you. He wanted to be a God. He wanted to be that, that, uh, that authority in a patient's life where they just did what they want. And Johnny Fontaine was a little bit too dismissive of Jules. For the first time in clear indication of some awareness by the dawn of the Hegelian dialectic and his use of it, as when Tom was describing to Michael what had happened to the record counterfeiters. He said it was a pattern that he had seen often, the Don helping those in misfortune, whose misfortune he had partially created. Not perhaps out of the cunning or planning, but because of his variety of interests or perhaps because of the nature of the universe, the interlinking of good and evil, natural of itself. Okay, that's when he's talking about counterfeiting a lot of records out there. Many of those records that were being counterfeited were Johnny Fontaine's, which would cut into Johnny's action. And at that point, Johnny Fontaine had kind of fallen out of favor with Vito because he was acting so recklessly in his personal life and all that. Anyway, here we have a little bit more. The way Mrs. Corleone took to Kay after marriage and how that K, uh, that made Kay curious about Catholicism. Uh, there is the following explanation for going to Mass and taking communion. and That's the... Pretty much, you know, I want to make sure that he goes up there and not down there The not so subtle hints that the book is about the transformation of Michael into the Don Carlo really liked Michael Connie always said but then everybody liked Michael just as everyone liked her father Michael was the Don all over again It was the best thing that Michael was going to run the family olive oil business It was the best thing that he was gonna run the business The serious compartmentalization at play, a real need to know the basis, even for family and spouses. I get that, too. uh, Here's the quote that NJSF provides. Then why don't you invite them over for some evening and you can reassure your sister, Kay said. The poor thing is always so nervous about what you think of her husband. Tell her, and tell her you put those silly worries out of her head. I can't do that, Michael said. We don't talk about those things in our family. Hmm. Well, I think it also is uh, something that he doesn't want to do because um, he knows that Carlo has to go. And he's being watched very closely. Hagen asked quietly, why did you run away? Kay said, because Michael lied to me because he made a fool of me when he stood godfather to Connie's boy. He betrayed me. I can't love a man like that. I can't live with it. I can't let him be a father to my children. Hagen shook his head. He said, Mike, uh, you've got Michael wrong. You're mad because he lied to you. Well, he warned you never to ask him about business. You're mad because he was godfather to Carlo's boy, but you made him do that. This is when Kay runs away, and but she realizes that that's not going to happen. And, and of course, in Godfather 2, that relationship gets, gets very painful. That relationship gets very painful in Godfather 2. And I can't wait to watch these with you. I have to figure out when the when the air times are going to be, because you're talking about two and a half hours for the first movie. We got to start that around. I don't know. I think we might do that on a Saturday night. I think we might do it on a Saturday night. I think that's, that that might that might be what it is. It might be a Saturday night feature where we start it around eight o'clock, on a Saturday night, and we watch it until about ten thirty. That's probably what we're going to have to do. Um, and that will be a, a private showing on on quitefrankly.tv. All right, let's get to more. G, uh, GDP, that's the ghost of Daniel Parker. It says, I found it powerful when Kay asked Michael if he ordered the murder of his brother-in-law. Kay is the conscience. She is the conscience of the novel since she's the only uh, only main character raised outside of the code of Omerta. For everyone else, murder is an accepted part of life. Even Connie eventually accepts the killing of her husband. At the heart of the novel are the first murders committed by Vito and Michael. Vito Corleone's initial murder is depicted as a necessary evil, a means of survival in the ruthless world of the Mafia. As the patriarch, Vito's power and influence are undeniable. Yet his attempt to shield his children from the family business ultimately proves futile. Michael, his youngest son, initially resists the lure of the Mafia, seeking a life of legitimacy and respectability. However, the cycle of violence proves inescapable as circumstances force Michael to assume his father's mantle and perpetuate the the legacy of violence. The novel culminates in an orgy of murder as Michael eliminates all of his family's rivals. It's really very cathartic. That's the way I feel on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon when I've got a list of to-dos and I'm knocking them off. Laundry done. Done. Check the inboxes for the show. Done. This and that. Done. Clean this. Organize that. Outside. So, oh, I love it. That is me at the baptism, having everybody killed all at once. Okay, it's a lot more. It's a lot more wholesome of a feeling. Referencing The Godfather Part 2 might be cheating a bit, but Puzo wrote the screenplay, so I will. In that movie, Hyman Roth seeks to kill Michael to avenge the death of his partner, Mo Green. Yes. So despite Michael's attempt to clean up loose ends, the cycle of violence continues. Of course, that movie culminates with Michael committing the sin of Cain. Fratricide. It's a yeah, I know, and it, it haunts him forever. The, the very first murder committed by a man. So why did Michael lie to Kay? There are several possibilities, but I believe he wanted to hold on a bit to the idealism that he lost from the beginning of the novel. There's a part of him that wants to be, uh, th- that wants the mother of his children to believe that murder is wrong, but the truth is that Kay is already corrupted. She admits that she didn't leave him for ordering the murder, but because she, he lied to her about it. That was it, it was the lie. The novel ends with Kay praying to Michael for Michael's soul, which leaves us with the question, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I know. And that, my friends, is really the tragedy of Godfather Saga. It, it, it that, that is expressed more fully in part 2. That you see Michael, everything about his face is drawn. He's got kind of like the darkness under his eyes uh the boyish hope of you know uh, of him at the wedding of connie's wedding in the opening of part 1 is gone the hope that he had when he found love in sicily with apollonia is gone that's been burned out of him and now even his ability to handle a hard job the way that his father did while keeping his family involved and being still warm-hearted and reasonable with that, Michael is a lot more cold. He becomes far colder than his father ever was. He's just as smart as his father was, calculating, very strategic. He's got all that covered. But like I said in the beginning, what you have here is Don Vito, a man who contained three of his sons in him. He had the affection and the softness of Fredo that Michael could not possess. Uh, Michael just could not hold on to the sweetness and the softness of Fredo. Um, He has all of the intelligence and the strategy that Fredo and the capability that Fredo doesn't have, though. And then, of course, there's Sonny, who was all fire. He was all fire, all fury, and he knew how to fight, and he knew how to be lethal when it was necessary, but he wasn't driven by that fire. So Vito really was the encapsulation of all of his sons put together, and you take them apart, and it's like any sitcom out there, like Seinfeld or anything else, where that cast exists together, and they keep each other in bal- as a balance. You take any of them out of there, and you go give Kramer his own show. It doesn't work. Costanza, his own show, it doesn't work. You need them all together to balance it out. Vito was that balance. Out of the three sons, Michael was the most capable of handling the family business. But in the in in the in the process of handling the family business, he loses his family, his actual family, and that's the tragedy. That's the tragedy in it all. Um, Robert Solario says, "I've been part of book club since the beginning. For me, last week's session four was the best ever. The posts about Mava and uh, the posts by Mava and Katie Sky added a lot to the narrative. The Godfather has been a great read. I just want to give love to the Frankly community, and thanks to you, Frank, you really got a good thing going. I'm glad you enjoy it. I told Lauren today. I said I'm re- I don't give myself a lot of props. I don't pat myself on the back." Uh, a lot because I just want to keep working and I just want the next thing that we do to be better than the things we did last or at least just as fulfilling and I said Lauren I gotta say I am really proud of this book club I'm proud that I was I did this because I always said I I really want to do a book club but I never ran one how the hell you even do it well you just fucking do it and that's what we did and this is the end of an entire year that we've been reading together. Five. We started with C.S. Lewis. We went to uh, we, we we went with um, Brave New World. Then that wonderful time that we spent with um, with Charlie Robinson and Field of Dreams. That was that book was so wonderful. Shoeless Joe, so wonderful for me. And then. And then I had a a real blast with Lindsay and the Devil in the White City, and then have Jay come back to do this one, The Godfather, and to say that I read that. Yeah, I read that. Well, did you ever read the book? We can be those snooty people now that say, did you ever read the book, though? You got to read the book. <laughs> we are those snooty people now. I love it. All right, one more, and I don't think we have time for calls. Mm-hmm dyslexic angel said the gift of quite frankly book club has been the opportunity to see with clarity the narrative i prefer in the books and it was the godfather that brought this clear uh, clearness which seems to be delivered to me with the impeccable timing as i think the world has lost its ever-loving mind and we all need a reminder of standing by strong moral values thank you Kay and michael I like the narrative that shows us that life is difficult. It has framework for humanity to live by and ends with hope. That is why I see in this reading, or in reading this book. And to give you an example, of what I mean here's a list of a few books that illustrates my point: "To Kill a Mockingbird," "Man's Search for Meaning," "The Alchemist," "The Secret Garden," "The Little Princess," "The Secret of Life," uh, "The Secret Life of Bees," "The Lord of the Rings," "The Help," "Life is Beautiful." These are all great books with one movie uh, that I have read or watched at the end that we learn. Life is so beautiful. Vito Corleone says that. Something I think might need a reminder of now more than ever. I'm grateful for you, book club members. Grateful to Frank and all he gives to us every day. And this book is uh, the book to remind me of what is most important. Love is the ultimate goal for all questions or worries. And as crazy as this might seem, The Godfather has been that reminder. I need to include that The Great Divorce, Shoeless Joe, I really enjoyed those two books as well. The whole year gone by. Well, thank you guys and gals so much. Thank you to Jay Dyer. He couldn't be here tonight, but this uh, he added so much value to this, uh, this serial as he always does. And I would love to do another book with him in the future. Who knows what that may be? Um, who knows what that may be? But in the meantime in the meantime, let me see in the chat room. Uh Blue Lotus, thank you. Kate, AQ, Jimmy Eats movies, Deborah, Travis Crosslin, thank you guys, and more. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's many more. NJSF is there. Um plenty more people. I'm sorry if I missed your name. I, I'm usually able to pay attention to the to the chat room a little bit more, but I had so much to get out of my mind. Anyway, I'll be raffling this one off pretty soon. And I hope one of you win it. I hope one of you win it. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Good night. And I'll see you tomorrow. on quite frankly, happy Halloween.